Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about reducing screen time in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and it's a new year, and we are all looking at creating some new habits in our home. I'm so glad y'all are here today. We're so excited to get 2021 started on the right foot. Um, you know, if you're like me, you, you're just really overwhelmed <laughs> with 2020. We're, we're, it's time. It's just time to, um, to start fresh. And we're so glad you're here at Screen Strong. We're going to teach you how to do that when it comes to screens and your kids. And today is so exciting because we are going to talk with an incredible resource that we have, one of our ambassadors, um, about young kids. There's so many of y'all in our group and that are involved with us that, um, you know, have nine, 10, 11 year old kids, but, um, there's also many, many of you who have those young toddlers and first and second graders. And we believe in prevention over here. <laughs> and, um, you know, one thing I want to bring up real quick before we get started. Um, I know we talk a lot about screen addiction and we talk a lot about screen dependency and that's why we're all here in this community because we don't want our kids to be addicted. That's such a terrible word. And, uh, and I hate it. It was really hard when, when my oldest son, when I first realized that he was addicted to video games and dropped out of college and y'all know my story, but it was really hard for me as a mom to realize that I had allowed something, you know, to happen in his life that was, um, causing problems and actually got to the level that it was an addiction. So what I want you to think about is, is sort of a new way we're going to think about this this year. And we're going to be using this a lot in our, in our material as we move through 21. I want you to think about the word habit. And what we're really talking about is building good habits in our kids' lives and, and not supporting bad habits. And I will suggest to you that screens can easily become a bad habit. If you don't want to think of it as an addiction, or maybe it's not quite there to that dependency level yet, certainly we can all agree it can be a bad habit. <laughs> so maybe that will help us um, get our head around this. And, and today, Patricia Gefford is a guest that we have today. We're so excited to have her. I have known Patricia now over a year and have been just, we're just so blessed to have her on our, our team, our ambassador team. And, and what that means to be a screen strong ambassador, she has really gotten excited about our message and, um, you know, doesn't live where I live, you know, lives far away. Um, but she is a, a spokesperson for screen strong. So if you're interested in being an ambassador, um, maybe something you might want to contact us about. Um, basically we give you materials and our slideshow and you can go out and you can talk to your community. And that's what Patricia has been doing. But Patricia has a very wonderful background as a teacher, many years um, teaching in the, in this category, this, this kindergarten through first, second grade. So Patricia, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Melanie. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to talk with you and all of the listeners about this. Great. Well, I, I'm so excited. They get to hear directly from you. 
um, I was just so excited when I first met you and all of your ideas and, and, you know, everything that you talked about and that we, we had our first few conversations about, I could so agree with, and I was just so excited to hear how you were so articulate. And that's what I'm excited today for people to hear you explain from your experience in the classroom, just how things have changed over the years. So Patricia, give us your background and then um, tell us about how things, in your opinion, and your observations, because that's really what we're interested in. And we can read articles all day long, but we're really interested in your hands-on experience. But first, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, I'd be glad to. Well, first of all, I'm a mom. I have uh, four grown children, and I'm also uh, blessed to be a grandmother of eight, ranging in age from almost six months to 20 years. So lots of years spent um, in the child raising business and uh, seeing changes that happen there. I also am an early childhood educator. Um, My uh, background in terms of my education, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, focusing on child psych, as well as a bachelor's degree in child development, which at that time carried with it a a certification to teach early childhood education. Um, I also then have a master's in education. I have taught for over 35 years and was blessed to be able to teach for the final 31 years of my career in the same school, 15 years in kindergarten, and 15 years in first grade, and then a final year working with the youngest students, early childhood students in the library program. Um, I retired just about a year and a half ago um, and have been pleased to join with your group and learn more and uh, spread the word more about the message of um, the hazards of excessive screen use. I'll start with a little story. I have noticed a lot of changes over the years in my teaching career, particularly so in the last 15 to 20 years and more increasingly so in the last 10 to 12 years of my career. But about 15 years ago, we were at lunch one day and at the school where I taught, we always ate with our students. So I'm at a table with a group of eight first grade girls. And in the course of conversation, one of the girls was talking about the the new apps she had on her cell phone. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, you have apps on a phone? And then I thought, no, wait, you have a cell phone? And the question was, why? Why does a first grader need a cell phone? The answer is she doesn't or he doesn't. Um, So the kinds of things we saw happening in the classroom, we saw changes in their behaviors in every area, in, in the physical arena, socially, emotionally, cognitively, children had um, less control over their physical selves. They were more fidgety. Um, They had um, decreased core strength. So they would slouch in their desk or sprawl across the floor if we were sitting on the floor in a group. Um, Their motor skills weren't as well-developed, both gross motor and small motor. they were also more self-absorbed. So they, for some reason, we noticed they weren't developing social skills as children usually do. They were less aware of social cues. They were less aware of the needs of other people. 
they were less able to wait their turn or to delay gratification. We also noticed that students um, seemed to be having a more external locus of control, which means they were, for example, instead of being able to accept responsibility if something didn't go just the way they wanted it to, or if they were struggling with a task, rather than say, hmm, I wonder if I could try this a different way, they would immediately ask someone else to help them, usually the teacher, me. Or um, if something wasn't going the way they wanted it to, they weren't winning in a game or they weren't able to perform a task the way they wanted, they would blame someone else rather than saying, hmm, maybe I should work on this a little bit more. Um, wow. Well, let me, let me just stop you there for a second. Um, this is fascinating. I, I mean, because you, you've had so many years in the classroom and, and it's, and then you start seeing these changes and I, I, as a lay person see them too, but it's just so interesting to hear. And you have, I have four kids, so I've been through first grade a number of times, Right. <laughs> um, but it's so interesting to hear from your perspective as a teacher, really putting these like terms around this. So like the inability to read social cues, that's fascinating to me because I noticed the same thing. I don't know if I would have said it exactly in those terms, but that's exactly what I would see. I, I would tell my kids early on, y'all, you have to learn how to read the room. Can you not read the room? And that's kind of what you're talking about here. Just Absolutely. To pick up these, these, these um, cues, you know, these little clues about what's going on. And can't you see that this kid is crying. You, you can't say that, you know, I mean, you know, just different cues. So, but anyway, keep, keep going. But I'm just, I just think this is fascinating that you're putting these terms around things that as a mom, I saw, I just didn't realize what I was seeing. Right. And, and talking about that, picking up on the social cues, whenever you're interacting with a human being face to face. So if a child is interacting with the teacher, with the mom, with another child, with anyone else, a real person, not a screen, and they're, they say something that may be hurtful or is inappropriate or their behavior um, in some way, they push the child, the other child, something like that. Um, that person, the other person reacts, their face reacts. They, mm -hmm. they make, uh, maybe they make a frown or they back away a little bit. That action from the recipient tells the brain of the sender of that child who's um, initiated that behavior or said something inappropriate, oh, that didn't go over well. Maybe I should not do that again. But if they're never having those experiences or they're not having them often on a regular basis, they're not learning that. So the brain isn't getting that message wow. and sending it to the child to stop doing that, to behave differently. So they keep doing it because that screen doesn't say, wait a minute, you can't talk to me like that or don't push me. Um, right. You know, it, they just keep going. The other thing, other things we saw in terms of academic um, skills that you might need in the classroom, um, a decrease in, in attention span and a decrease in the child's ability to focus and to maintain focus on school tasks. Um, 
we saw an increase in ADHD type symptoms. That does not mean it was ADHD, but the kind of symptoms you would see, the fidgeting, the, the constant movement activity, impulsive behavior, uh, unable to make clear decisions, those kinds of things. And another thing that really concerned me and many other teachers as well, we saw a, a big decrease in respectful behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to learn how to be respectful of others if you're not regularly interacting with others. Um, so children would roll their eyes at me when I would give them a direction, something I was unheard of when I was in first grade. Who would do that to a teacher? Um, they, they weren't as cooperative, not only with me or, or other teachers, but with each other. Um, and they were much more demanding of their needs being met, of getting help, and particularly so with their parents. Um, they would walk, parents would walk in the door at the end of the day and the child would throw their backpack at them. Here, carry this. Wait a minute. That's right. not the parent's job. They're not the pack animal, you know. So <laughs> those kinds of behaviors that we saw. Well, one one more thing to touch on before we leave this this thought. Um, something that just came up in my head when you were talking. It's it's the word patience comes to mind for me. Yes. And this whole yes. thing about immediate gratification and and I know when my son was on his game all the time, um, he wasn't in first grade. This happened more to us around middle school, but he kind of expected things quickly because I think the game delivered things quickly to him. So this immediate gratification, I can only imagine how hard that would be if you're in a kindergarten or first grade classroom, if everyone is so demanding, because you have to take your turn, you have to wait. Exactly. And that, that was, that was it exactly. And, and not only um, did the screen or the game give them immediate gratification, there were lots of bells and whistles that went with that. So lights and noise and music and um, teachers don't do that in the classroom. You know, we're not there to do a little song and dance to teach. It's a, it is hopefully a more calm, relaxed, a bit more even pace And that's hard for children as they become more used to using screens and interacting with screens because it's so much more fast paced. Well, can you talk about just for a few minutes about what parents really need to understand when it comes to brain development for their young kids? Because we talk about it a lot with older kids, but talk about what parents need to know about brain development for their young kids. Yes, absolutely. Um, Well, I know you've talked about in other podcasts and everything that you do that the brain isn't fully developed until age 25. So we need to remember that when working with young children, their brain's got a long way to go. And our job is to help them with that. The years from birth to age three are really important because during that time, there are about 700 neural connections formed every second And those are driven, those connections are driven by interactions with real people, with parents, with caregivers. Um, And we know that the brain becomes what it does. So the more synapses are strengthened through practice, the more solidified those become, the more wired in those become. So the more you practice, anything, any skill, any habit, any behavior, the more strength that connection has to the point that it goes on 
basically autopilot after you've done it long enough. Think of tasks that you can do really now without thinking about them. That all starts when you're young, starting to develop those habits and those um, that wiring. Also remember that if children are practicing bad habits or uh, strengthening synapses that are not the kind you'd like to have strengthened or not the kind of connections you'd like to be made, reinforcing behaviors that are not so appropriate, the more they do those kinds of behaviors, the harder it is to change them because the wiring gets more hardwired. So we have to keep that in mind. That's really, really, really important. Well, and yeah, on, on, onto that point real quick, I just want to say that it brings up this fact that in the research I've done, um, that the younger kids, you know, get involved in harmful things, you know, it does more damage just exactly because of what you're talking about, because the younger brain is more Im impressionable. And I think that we used to think in the mom world out here that our kids were pretty resilient and we always want to learn, you know, things, how can I build resilience in my, my first grader, <laughs> you know, I want to build resilient kids. But what I've learned in the research and re reading all the stuff that I've read is that we're confused. The word is not resilient. The word is flexible. Our kids can be flexible, but they are not resilient. And I think it's a real key point that that you're bringing up here with the habits that get strengthened when they're little are more powerful than even when they're a little bit older because their brain is so fresh, <laughs> I guess. It's new. Yes. And, um, and we think they're going to be resilient. We think we can build this, you know, resiliency and we can't, we're hurting them. We, yes, we need to be very aware of, of what we're reinforcing or allowing to be reinforced. And some of that we're allowing just by neglecting, uh, by not jumping on to um, guiding them when we see habits starting to develop that are uh, undesirable. So we need to be stepping in and doing that. I'm going to give you an example um, This that brought this to mind. Um, a year or so ago, I was working with a group, um, and I, there there was a learning support professional in the group. Um, she her job was to work with students one on one who were struggling with something in the classroom. Okay, mm -hmm. so there was a student that um, really was having trouble focusing in the classroom at all. He um, was a student who spent a lot of time using video games and playing with video games. He was having so much trouble because of this. He, he could not focus on school tasks in the classroom. He couldn't maintain focus on anything that they were trying to do. He was un unable to persevere with tasks whenever, um, he got stuck on a problem. Um, and basically he was unable to learn in the classroom. So her job, the learning support person's job was to work with this student outside of school, one-on-one -on -one, to try to help him learn the things he should have been learning in school. 
She said he continued to struggle even on the one-to-one basis where there were no other students around. There were not the distractions in a normal classroom, just the two of them in a quiet, calm room trying in a nice, slow, methodical way to work on these school skills and understand the concepts that were appropriate for grade level. And I thought, oh my gosh, this child must have had years and years of experience with video games to have gotten to this point. So I asked her, how, how old is this student? He was seven. Yeah. So this would be a first or second grader already so impacted and had those habits, as you said, so wired in that mm-hmm. he was unable to function in a normal classroom, wow. which is, which is really scary. Yeah, it, it is. It's what you're talking about. Um, the minute ago you used the word neglect and that just really caught my ear because it's not only what we're allowing is what we're not allowing. And that's kind of your story here with this seven-year-old. He was never like, he was neglected because he wasn't allowed to learn these basic skills that he needed to go to school. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, for who, I don't know the background uh, there, so I don't know, you know, how that developed. Um, You can see how easily the habit, I I mean, I can't tell you how many parents I've talked to who have said, oh my gosh, whenever we start talking about things like this, like, oh my gosh, my five-year-old will be ready to leave to go to grandma's house. And he'll say, he's playing his game. Give me five more minutes. Give me five more minutes. And And they'll say, I can see already he's five and the habit is starting. So yeah, that's what we need to be paying attention to, those kinds of behaviors and, and not letting that happen. Well, you also just um, talked a second there about focus. And I, I want to talk about this for a minute because I think there are a lot of parents out there that hear things like this from the teachers that their kids have, you know, that they need to learn how to focus more. He's not able to focus. And, um, and then there's this very odd prescription almost where at least when my kids maybe maybe don't do maybe they don't do this anymore but um when my kids were going through school they would say you know let him let him play with his game boy because that will help him focus <laughs> and i'm thinking does that really help him focus i mean i know a lot of parents that have kids that have diagnosed you know adhd kids and the doctors are actually giving them screens to tell them to help them focus. Like that seems so backwards to me. Can you talk about that a minute? I agree with you. It seems backwards to me too. And I think it is backwards because you're right. Um, when you're dealing with a child who is very active or, or has is exhibiting some of these symptoms or characteristics of ADHD behavior, it can be very challenging. It's challenging in the classroom and it's certainly challenging as a parent when they're there and it's the end of the day and everybody's tired. You just want them to calm down. So the temptation is to give them the screen because really they do calm down watching the screen. I'm not really sure they're calmed down as much as they are catatonic because sometimes if they're just even watching a video or a movie, they just they they go into that trance kind of thing and okay for a short time they're calm but in the long run it works the opposite because while they're catatonic 
trance-like watching that screen or very engaged in this video game, especially with the games when there's a lot of rapid-fire movement and, and activity and bells and whistles and lights and noise, all kinds of things going on. When they get off the screen, their brain desires more of that, yeah. more activity, more energy, more motion, more visuals, everything else. So that only increases their activity level. Yeah, you're priming the pump. You know, you're just getting it started by stimulating that limbic area of their brain, that midbrain that gets stimulated. Their fight flight is activated. They have um, a lot of stress and and it actually makes them very nervous. But that's what I use that term. But um, um, but it does work, right? It, because you've got them in in the coma, um, and that's basically what this, you know what you just you've got them in the coma. And if that's what you're after, that's then yeah. you've you've had success. But I, I really doubt that that's what we're after is to get our kids into trance like. No, I, I don't think that it makes them. It teaches them how to focus at all because it's so stimulating. It's overstimulating their limbic area and it's shutting down their frontal cortex. So this might look like focus, but you're doing just the opposite because like you said a few minutes ago, teachers are not standing up there with bells and whistles and flashing lights on. So they're only now we're training them because what you're saying about the young brain being trained early, now we're training them that that's the only way they're going to be able to you know, be still, you know, is when they have all the stimulation going on. Um, so it does really work to our disadvantage to be training their brains. Right. And, um, studies show that the, the more children play video games or watch entertainment screens, the more likely it is that they're going to struggle with the kind of self-control and self-regulatory skills that they need to function in a classroom or to even focus on homework. Um, and early heavy exposure, no, yeah, the early heavy exposure may even deny the child's brain the ability to develop self-control. And you think ahead, years ahead, what that could look like without self-control. Sure. Oh, and you remember, Patricia, I'm sure, I'm sure you remember the marshmallow experiment. And that's what yeah, that was all absolutely. about. Can you explain that just in real quick? Can you explain that? Yes, it's uh, children were were told um, it, they could have um, a marshmallow now, or if they could wait a couple of minutes, then they would get two marshmallows. And it w the idea was to learn to delay gratification. Um, and it was interesting in the in the study to see uh, some children know they needed to have it right away, so they opted to just to eat the one marshmallow right now rather than to wait to get to get two. And it, it is a habit. It's a habit um, that we can develop with children and we can, and a skill um, that self-regulatory behavior is so critical, not just in school, but in everything we do. It's gonna it's gonna matter in relationships, it's gonna matter in jobs, in any kind of interaction that you have in the world. So that is really, really key, key that we focus on that and think about as parents. That is at the end of that study. And this study has been replicated over and over. So we know it wasn't just one study. I think it was done in the, I don't know, sixties or seventies or something. Um, yes. but at the end of the study, I think they, they, um, they looked at these kids after like 20 years 
And they saw such a big difference in the kids who had been able to wait versus the ones who who couldn't wait. And they saw such a big difference in their academic accomplishments and their work accomplishments, their relationships. Like you just said, everything was affected. So this is not just a theory. This is a proven study that the ability to have self-control during this, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, these young, impressionable years will affect your child down the road for the rest of their life. This is very serious stuff we're talking about. This isn't like, oh, oh, well, whatever. We'll just play a video game and it's okay. No, it's not okay. We only have this very, very small window of opportunity to get our kids, um, you know, started on the right foot and to get these habits developed. So what can parents do to help with this development? Since we have talked about these things that are kind of going haywire, how can we as parents make sure this doesn't happen? What are some uh, preventative, proactive kind of things that we can do with our little kids? There are so many, uh, Melanie, good question. Um, So many things um, to do with young children uh, in every, every area that you can think about. One of the things we know the brain really needs in order to develop well is movement. The body needs to move. So children need to be involved in all kinds of activities where they are required to get some physical activity. So they need to be outside climbing trees. Um, Last summer, we went to see our grandchildren. I was so excited when I I got out of the car immediately. When I got out of the car, when we arrived at their home, um, our five-year-old grandson ran up and said, Gigi, come here. I want to show you how I can climb this tree. And then after he climbed the tree, he said, now watch, I'm going to show you how I can slide and get my pants dirty. So he was already you know, let's be outdoors, let's do all of these things. That's what we want them to do. We want them to do things to develop uh, large motor skills, but also think about small motor skills. So they need to be using their pincer skills, that small motor skill where they're building with Legos, they're picking up items and moving them, picking up acorns in the woods and putting them in a bucket, all of those kinds of things, but the body needs to move. None of those things that I talked about and none of that physical activity involves using a screen. Let me just say about movement real quick. Um, The movement thing, the reason why this is so important is because of the way the brain develops. It develops from the back to the front. Everything right. about our development has a process and there is a order to it. And so if your child doesn't get that uh, cerebellum, the back of their brain really developed well, it's going to have problems developing the midbrain and then the forebrain. It's it because the back of the brain, where all that movement center is, has to be developed really, really well before those, uh, that's why you have learning problems in kids who, who didn't crawl right, or who didn't have enough of this kind of movement that you're talking about, Patricia. That's exactly right. And studies show that about 30 minutes of physical activity three times a week increases cognitive performance. Now that's not very much, 30 minutes three times a week. Also, you were right, that the lack of healthy motion causes those synapses to atrophy. So the Mm. brain isn't developing the way it should. In fact, there was a study done that showed that given just 26 minutes of physical activity a day 
for an eight-week period consistently significantly allayed ADHD symptoms. Wow. That was due to improvement in exec executive function with impulse control, focus, et cetera. So it's really, really important. And also in that study, when that physical activity was discontinued, those um, symptoms increased again. Wow. So it's really important to get children out and moving. I can tell you this, I noticed in my classroom Within the last 10 years or so, um, a particular event, a instance happened where the children were so slouchy, I called them. They would just sprawl across the floor like they couldn't sit up straight. They would slouch across their desk. And this would be at 9 o'clock in the morning. School started at 8.15. They'd be slouched with their head on their desk. And it, mm. it, it amazed me. And well, I started talking with other teachers in the school about it, particularly those involved in our physical education program, in our dance and movement program. And we were talking about the fluid in the inner ear, that vestibular fluid. And in order to maintain the balance of that, children need to run and climb and skip and jump and spin and hang upside down on the monkey bars and twirl around in circles and roll down the hills and do all of those kinds of things. Well, this happens when children are outside in free play, not in a structured soccer practice or in a specific, I want you wow. to take turns and do this, do this, do this, but go play, go play on the playground, go play in the park, go roll down the hill. All of the things that we did when we were little, here's the key though, if the brain does not get those opportunities the body takes over and tries to get itself back in balance. And it does that by wiggling and fidgeting. So you've got this child in your classroom who has not had those opportunities. The body is wiggling and fidgeting and squirming in the chair, trying to get itself back in balance. So it's trying to self-correct. What does the teacher say or the parent at home? Sit still. Wow. Exactly the opposite of what the body needs to be doing. So we have to be giving children those kinds of opportunities so that they can do that. So they need to dance and run and jump and skip and roll down the hills and it, it, all of the kinds of things that children should be doing outdoors in free play. Even even little games um, that you can do indoors. Twister. Think about how you're upside down, your head's, you're stretching, you're moving. There's a really cool game called Monkey Around. It's for preschool toddler children, even a year and a half, two, three years old. And it involves this uh, board with uh, monkeys on a, a tree and you get these little cards and there's a stuffed banana. So it's a cooperative kind of game and you draw a card and obviously you're reading it to the child and it'll say, put the banana on your head walk across the room oh. or um, toss the banana to another person and then they'll toss it back. So it's movement involved, learning about taking turns and all of that at the same time. But again, it's involving movement. So I love those kinds of games. Um, talking yeah. about unstructured play, so, so key to brain development and to the development in the area of creativity. Children just need two things for that to happen. They need time and space and they need the tools. And the tools are things like sticks, rocks, buttons, paper bags, uh, boxes, empty containers, art supplies, clay, all those things. And then provide the materials and see what happens. It's not a, here I'm going to show you a picture and I want you to make something that looks like this. It's a, go to it. 
Okay. Have these things and see what you want to do with them. And they can use them differently every time. Sometimes they're going to snack the boxes. Sometimes they're going to crawl in them. Sometimes they're going to nest them. Sometimes they're going to put things into them and dump them out and put them in something else. But the brain needs all of those kinds of things. Children are learning problem-solving skills. They're learning to persevere. If something doesn't work, hmm, what else could I do? How could I try something else? Um, they're developing imagination whenever they might not, they don't have something in mind. They're just creating as they go and they get to, you know, a certain point and think, oh, look at that. It looks like a such and such, or yeah. I'm going to call it this because I, yeah. I created it. And when they do those things with other children, then they learn social skills as well. They learn to negotiate, to cooperate. They learn empathy when someone else is struggling to make a box fit in another one, they help. So they learn about about doing that. So it's really important to give children lots of opportunities for that. And again, none of those things that I talked about mm -hmm. use screens. And right. that's what, what we're going to focus on. So we've, we've talked about movement and play and creativity. Let's talk about just a few more things because we're going to, we have a few more minutes here as far as um, how parents can aid in this development. And then we're going to talk about some more practical things, but what are some of those other executive function things that um, are really necessary during this age? I know one thing you and I talked about before was music. And of course I could do a whole podcast on music. I probably will soon. <laughs> yes. And that's a great idea. Yes. Music and music and art are both very important because they do aid in brain development and it doesn't mean you need to be good at it. Um, I missed that when I was a child. I, I'm one of those people who always says, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, and it's true. Um, and I didn't have any background in, in working with instruments or using my voice or moving my body in space to music, and, I, and I'm sorry about that. I wish I had. And I see so much of that in the schools now with good music and movement programs and art programs. They do more... Um, improvisational um, kinds of an interpretive work through through their artwork through what they create with materials and with drawing and as well as through their use of their body and mm -hmm. creating music and even creating music using non-musical non-instrument kinds of things you know the spoon on the pan um, using sticks uh, on a log in the woods any of those kinds of things and when they're moving to that, to the music, any kind of music, they're learning body control. We talked about that in terms of um, the self-regulatory behaviors. How does your body move in space? How do you control that? How do you realize the space that other people's bodies need? Mm -hmm. In addition to developing imagination, creativity, self-confidence, um, decision-making, whenever you're creating a, a, a pattern, a rhythm, uh, math skills through the rhythmic patterns in music um, that you're creating, or maybe the pattern you're creating in your in your picture or your uh, sculpture that you're building. So all mm -hmm. of those things are so important to brain development, and so easy to do in with whatever you have in your house. Um, yeah. You know, pull pull out the box and pull out some paper bags and. Um, you know, get some sticks in the backyard or, or stones and just let them go with it and, and see what they do. I was going to say another area that we that we talked about before, uh, and I'll touch on just for a minute, would be language development and the importance of 
speaking with your child and it needs to be face-to-face reading stories um, telling stories using words and studies show that it's not just talking to your child but the number of words you use and the quality of those words starting from the very beginning babies on up so that a, a, a young a toddler learning how to speak says dog and, and a parent or a caregiver might say yes that's a dog or that caregiver might say oh, yes that is a dog it's a big big brown furry dog feel how soft his fur is big difference in what the child is hearing and what kind of language is being modeled for that child so all of those are very important and um, talking about reading reading with your child um, is a very personal interactive kind of um, way to be engaged so that the child is cuddled up maybe on your lap maybe beside you on the couch you're it's an interactive kind of process so that you can stop the reading and you can say oh my gosh look at that dog how it's jumping up to try to get the squirrel on the tree you can talk about features in the in the pictures you can ask questions about the story you can respond to questions the child has I know many parents now will say I'll plug them in here's a book that you can watch on the screen well there's no interaction there and that Mm. piece is key it's very key to language development and brain development to have that kind of interaction it's very different um, it's very different than if you are reading versus just letting them watch like a book on the iPad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very, very different. And I want to encourage parents to continue to read that favorite book that your toddler or preschooler has requested five times a day, every day, for as long as you can remember. Repetition is very, very, very important to building those synapses in the brain, as well as helping children understand the importance of familiarity, predictability, all of that. So keep reading that favorite book, even though you're really tired of it. Um, it, it, I can't stress that enough. I can't. And also, back to um, watching a book, on a screen um the same with oh we won't read the book we'll just get the movie or we'll just watch the movie very very different a a conversation i had with my granddaughter she happens to be in high school now but this is true early on and she developed this early on we were talking about a book that they had to read in her class and i said oh have you seen the movie she said oh no i always want to read the book first before i watch the movie because i can then Picture the characters and the action in my head. Mm-hmm. And children who don't get that experience, who just watch the movies, but don't have books read to them when they're mm-hmm. young or read them on their own, aren't learning how to visualize. And that's a really important skill. So we, we need to make sure we're talk, talk, talk with your children, that you read, read, read with your children and do it in an interactive kind of way. That's that's very, very, very important. All of that communication, all of that yeah. interaction, the volleying back and forth when you're reading the story or when you're telling about your day, all of those things help build those synapses in the brain and they get none of those things when they're using a screen. Right. And if you want to read a book that is one of my favorites about 
this topic of talking in words, uh, 30 million words by Dana Seskind is one of my favorites. I, I usually give this book as a baby shower gift because, um, her whole study and this book talks about the word deficit by the age of three or four. And it's fascinating, um, exactly what you're talking about right now, how important it is for our kids to hear the human word spoken by a real human and not by a screen and the difference that it makes in their entire trajectory for their success in their not only academics, but just their overall life success. It all boils down to how many words they hear during this very, very incredible, incredible stage of development that we're talking about today. So everything you're saying just is so fascinating. And I, I think that parents are probably hanging on to every word. I know, oh gosh, I wish I had heard this back when my kids were in first grade. It would have been very helpful. Let's, let's, let's start wrap, wrapping up, but let's talk about a minute what parents can, can do specifically. We've been talking about getting your kids outside to move, getting them to uh, have this unstructured play. And I love when you said the difference between just just putting them on a team, which of course that's important for other reasons, but, but for the actual unstructured play of letting them roll around and make up their games and play and move is so important. And, um, but what are some things that parents can do when, you know, a lot of parents are working now from home and we are around our kids a lot more and we just need some time. So what are some things we can do to help our kids I, I, you know, I think the term, I don't know, self-soothe maybe be the term, um, and just occupy themselves. Talk about that a minute, how important that is and how we can make that happen. It is important. And, and, and let me stress, I, I can't imagine the stress and the challenge, uh, families are going through right now at doing what you just described, trying to work from home and help their children do school from home. And for young children, they cannot do school from home on their own. They need an adult with them to do it. So that is increasing the stress and the challenge in the, in the home greatly. Um, but it's, it's a challenge we have to be able to rise to or, or figure out ways to, to make that work. And in terms of helping children learn how to self-soothe and find things to do on their own, we have to remember that's a learning process. We can't just all of a sudden say to our five-year-old, well, go find something to do. I don't have time for this right now. Go find something to do. You have to help them learn how to do that. And if, if you start really early, that's easier. If you haven't, it's never too late. So that you can take a few minutes at the beginning of your day. I, I like little little family meetings, I like to call them. So spend five minutes, maybe once a week with your children and say, hmm, here's some things we've noticed. Here's some things we're going to work on or tell me what you what you would like to be working on. And you can set this up um, when, when mommy's at home and it needs to do her work and has a meeting uh, using the computer, unfortunately, but that's how it works now. Um, there are going to be times when I need you to be able to play quietly without me. So let's talk about some things you might do. So talk about things that they're already familiar with that you already have. We have lots of paper and markers and crayons you can draw. You can build with Legos or with your bricks blocks or whatever you happen to have. You can work on a puzzle. Um, 
you can do marble works, you know, the maze kind of game where you put them, you build a maze and you put the marbles in and watch it go down and spin. And every time you play it, it's something new. Those are the best kind of toys, by the way, that have uh, options for use. So talk with your children about options and then practice doing that before you need to do it in person. Hmm. So on the weekend, okay, I'm going to go, you know, uh, upstairs and, you know, I don't know, fold some laundry or do whatever you're doing. And I want you to choose some of these things to do here. Start small and increase the time so that children are learning how to do this. Also, think about all the times when you as a parent have used screens with your children to calm them, to distract them, to entertain them, to babysit them. That might be when you're waiting in line. It might be when you're at a restaurant. It might be when you're riding in the car. Think of options that they can use then that do not involve a screen. So you're talking about in the restaurant, let's say you're waiting in line. Obviously, you can talk and sing and play, play rhyming games and play finger plays and all those kinds of things. You can talk about um, comparing the size of the utensils on the table or use the little sugar packets as characters and play a little interactive uh, back and forth talking game, all those kinds of things. Uh, one of my favorites is whenever I see parents use um, the phone and some cute little video to distract their child while they're changing their diaper. And oh, it doesn't no. take long for the child. Yeah, we've all seen that happen, and, and I get it. I understand how that it really does work. The unfortunate part is the child gets used to watching that, likes it, likes that impact of that screen, and they want it more, so they start, you know, they throw fit when they can't, uh, so a bad habit already gets started. So rather than start that, sing yourself instead of putting on a video. Uh, give them a toy that they're familiar with that they can hold on their own. Give them a book that they already know, and you can talk about that book as you're changing the diaper. Oh, look, look at that hippopotamus. Remember how funny it is that he's wearing that hat or whatever it might be. So think about all the things you already have in your homes that are not screens that you can do with children. They come home after school. That's one of the hardest times, I think. They're home. And then you need to start dinner. My friend used to call it the witching hour. That's when the children were, their behavior was the most challenging because you needed to focus on getting a meal on the table because, you know, the family needs to eat, yet your children need your attention. Spend a few minutes first with them, then get the process started. And again, have it set up. At our house, we had a, what we called the art cart. It sat those little carts with wire baskets in the corner by the table had all kinds of art supplies in it. And when I would fix dinner, the children could sit at that table or on the floor in that area. I could see them. We could talk and they could use all those materials. It was great. They created great stuff doing that. And it was very, they could interact with each other and with me, but we could all accomplish a task. And of course, if your children are old enough um, and really pretty young, they can start tearing the lettuce to put in a salad or, um, you know, carrying the napkins to the table so they can be involved in the process. So just, it's, it's harder initially because right. you have to put a little more effort into getting these things prepared, having them set up, having them available and helping your children learn how to navigate this whole process. But once you have that habit started, it's really very easy. Well, and I like, I, I like what you're, you were you saying about that, um, that it's a habit. So, 
you get to determine what that habit is. Either that habit is going to involve a screen or it's not. And you get to determine that, not your, your child. And one practical tip that when you were talking about the restaurant and the doctor's office and waiting and all that, one thing that I think is really good that I think will help a lot of our listeners is um, even with a diaper change to have a special toy or book that they're only allowed to hold or, you know, during that time. Right. So it's like new again or something and, or they would look forward to it. And I would have a little bag that I would carry when we would do errands when the twins were little and um, they could only have it then like that was it. So it was fresh and new. And then we had to put it away when we were done with the errand, you know, um, but, but you're training them you're, you're building a habit that that's enough and that they don't need the screen. So I, I like, I liked when you said that to build this habit early. Yes. It, it much easier to, um, start the way you want it to be than to have to backtrack. And, and let's face it. Most of us at the beginning of this, when, when screens were new and, and iPhones were new and iPads and video games, we thought, oh, this is very cool. Let's try this. And then all of a sudden we found ourselves like, yipes, this didn't go where I wanted it to. Now we have to backtrack. So we're all there. Um, right. and, and But what we have to remember is we shouldn't just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, we should say, ooh, I can, I can intervene here and we can fix this. We can make this better. And not only can we, we have to. We have to uh, in order to help our children develop as the kind of people we want them to be and their brains to develop the way we want them to. Yeah, we have to um, almost become little brain scientists now. You know, parents have to. I mean, it didn't have to, it didn't used to be this way. It used to be where things just naturally fell into place. We had to play outside. We, we had all that crazy, you know, playground equipment at my school when you were talking about um, the monkey bars. I don't even know if they have monkey bars anymore, but I remember the, the big rings we called it and we would play on those things. And sometime we would fall, you know, I, I don't remember anybody really breaking a leg or anything, but, but, you know, we were hanging upside down all the time and, and now parents have to be um, like little mini neuroscientists. And that's why we're here at Screen Strong. We're really trying to break down all this material. And Patricia, you did such a wonderful job today in, in breaking it down for us because we have to constantly learn now what this is doing to their brains and how we can help their development because it's a, um, it's a preventative thing that we have to do at this age for sure. Um, so Oh my goodness, we just appreciate your all all your tips and and just unpacking this. You did such a great job explaining it and um and Patricia is actually in our Screen Strong Families Facebook group as well. So if you have some specific questions for her, you can jump in that group and and she'll be there to help answer those questions or Absolutely. I'd be more than happy to do that, Melanie. I I like being a part of that group. I'm very interested in hearing experiences that people are having. And I'm so interested to see and excited to see how many parents are jumping into that group and saying, um, how can I stop this? Or how can I prevent this? Or we're just getting started in this. What tips do you have? And, and seeking out help from each other, because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take people working together and, and we can do this. And I think one, one last thing I want to say in closing, um, 
a little quote by C.S. Lewis, and I know that you're familiar with this too. It's that you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. So regardless of what has happened in your home with screens up to this point, you can start from where you are and change how it's going. You can, and I think that applies to so many things, but definitely here. So don't parents, don't be discouraged. Don't think, oh my gosh, we're so far into this. How can we get out? You can get out. You can change it. And if you have really young children and you haven't started, don't start. Yeah, that's super good advice. <laughs> Just don't even start. But I love that quote too. And um, we will definitely put that up in our Screen Strong Families Facebook group. We will make a little graphic and put that up there. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us today. It has just been fabulous. You're welcome, Melanie. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you. We're definitely going to have you back. Um, So uh, if y'all have any other questions or topics that you want Patricia to cover, let me know. Um, We really hope you enjoyed listening today. Patricia, thank you again so much. I want to um, remind everybody that this is a perfect time of year to take the Screen Strong Challenge, which is our detox. It's free. It's a seven-day challenge to just put screens away, see if you can do um, these things that Patricia was talking about with your kids, it's going to be much easier if you have a community to support you, which is why we're here. You know, we can't do anything without community support, whether it's a diet that we're all trying to start or an exercise routine, um, at the beginning of the year, this, this screen detox is also something that we need our community for. So sign up for the screen strong challenge. You can do that on screenstrong.com and join our Facebook group. If you're not on there, there yet. So remember, that we've got your back and we are here to help you figure all this crazy, crazy screen stuff out. So until next time, remember to stand up for your kids and stand out from the crowd and stay strong.